Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is a show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am Scott Goldfein, your host, musicologist, and author of Everything's on the One, the First Guide of Funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be glad you did. As always, whether you're watching or listening, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Speaking of which, hopefully you have subscribed to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm resides. If you haven't, be sure to do so. Tell a friend, tell a family member, need that support. This episode features two of the original horn players of one of the baddest horn-based funk groups of all time, Mick Rudge and Morris Price of Brass Construction. Formed in Brooklyn, New York, and originally known as Dynamic Soul, the band changed its name, and with producer, composer, arranger, multi-instrumentalist Randy Muller leading the way, they embarked on a 10-year run of hit albums and songs beginning in 1975. Brass Construction's debut included what would be its most successful single, a jamming track called Movin' that topped the R&B chart and went to number 14 on the pop charts. That helped push the album to be certified for platinum sales. That record also included the number three dance chart tune, Changin'. The band would release nine more albums that yielded five additional top 40 R&B hits. Among those, along with other notable tracks, were Ha Cha Cha, The Message, What's On Your Mind, Love You, which is talk about loving. It's among my favorite funk jams of all time. Wake Up, Get Up, Right Place, The Super Funky, Get Up To Get Down, Do Ya, How Do You Do What You Do To Me, can You See the Light, Attitude, Walk in the Line, Party Line, and Zigzag. Although in transitioning from the 1970s to 1980s, the ferocious horns became less prominent in favor of synthesizers, which was the case for virtually all of the R&B bands that came out of the 70s, Brass Construction managed to consistently deliver catchy funk tunes with each release. Yet there was dissension within the ranks in 1985, it would be the group's final album release of studio work. While Muller had become involved with protege acts like Sky, another Truth and Rhythm guest, Grudge and Price, who were also multi-instrumentalists and composers, had latched on to other preoccupations as well. And beginning in the latter 1980s, Grudge and Price spearheaded the revival of Brass Construction as a live act. In this in-depth interview, the pair recount the group's entire history, including the albums, tracks, stage antics, band dynamics, seldom told stories, legal wrangling, and returning to perform once again and preserve the legacy. I worked with these great guys for several months to bring this to fruition, and so I'm so pleased that not only did it finally happen, but it turned out so well. I think you'll find it as fun and enlightening as the three of us did. So with that, Let's get ourselves together, get higher, and move on with Brass Construction. I'm so pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, saxophonist, bass, guitar, and keyboard player, singer, and composer, Mick Grudge, and trumpeter, keyboard, and percussion player, singer, and composer, Morris Price, both original members of New York's 1970s Horns Heavy, funk powerhouse brass construction guys right. so glad you could join me today how are you we have 
First, I'll show you um, Mick right there. Hey, Say how are you doing? Nice to see you. And then we have Morris here. Hey, how are you doing, everybody? Excellent. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, so much respect for, uh, you know, the music and the legacy from Brass Construction and the work that you guys have done. So um, I can't say enough about it. I remember, you know, when I first heard uh, Moving back in 75 or whenever it was, and I mean, it just grabbed my attention. And from that point on, you know, I bought, of course, the first record and every one of them when they came out. So. Uh, okay. Oh, so I, I get some money from you, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you kept it going, you know, a, a winner, one winner after another. So, um, you know, and, and, and then you guys also worked with some of the other groups too, like, um, or at least they were part of the same mix of groups out of the same area with BT Express and Sky and all these other ones. So we'll get into that, but, um, good times so mm -hmm. right very good times okay and morris you're coming to us from where today i'm coming to you from miami my new home as of two years ago um i don't know if i'm staying here uh because there's no place like new york but for now i'm in miami trying to feel it out yeah I'm well here. uh well, it's great. warm and humid <laughs> The weather's great, so you can't beat that. And Mick, where are you coming to us from today? Uh, I'm from New York, uh, Long Island, just outside of New York City, 20 minutes outside of New York City, a town called Great Neck, New York. Uh -huh. So you stuck a little closer to uh, the brass origins there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're about uh, 45 minutes from Brooklyn, uh -huh. so, uh, where I'm living right now. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into the questions that I've been anxious to ask you guys. Uh -oh. um, we're going to go way back, um, test your memories a little bit, and talk about, you know, where did you, you know, where are you from originally, and when did you first get into into music? So I'll throw that first at uh, Morris. Ooh. Well, how far you want me to go back to the beginning? Well, where are you from originally, and when did you first start playing well, the music? Originally, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. Um, I went to school in Brooklyn. Um, I started out actually playing or getting interested in music in the fifth grade. And that was in, you know, elementary school. And I started out at that time playing trombone. And going back and forth, trying to find my niche. You know, I went from trombone, to trumpet, to sax, to clarinet, to tuba, you know, all trying to find, you know, my niche, so to speak. And finally, when I got into, um, say, junior high school, I kind of settled down to trumpet. And um, basically, that's, that's where I'm from. I don't know how far, how much you want me to go into it, but well, did, did you have much of a, a musical family or a musical environment? And did you take any no, lessons? No, really. I had my brother's um, sister's much older than me, about 10 years. And I remember them singing a little doo-wop back in the days, you know, I'm talking about when they were teenagers. So that would have made me about six or seven years old. So I don't remember too much. 
And then my brother went into the military, so that music thing kind of blocked out. So basically, I'm the only one that really, you know, got a little hand into music. And like I said, I started out in junior high, I mean, elementary, and then went into, was basically classical music, so to speak, you know, and and then went into to junior high. And, you know, like I said, I dabbled with instruments back and forth, which I didn't know at a time that was a no-no, you know, but, but then, but it worked out for me. Which uh, instrument is your favorite? Well, you know, I, like I said, I settled down with trumpet, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy that I'm like this, you know, um, I like percussions. I like playing drums. Uh, matter of fact, and, and I show, I play drums um, in, you know, a couple of songs in the show. And, um, you know, but I never really studied. Basically, you know, I studied horns, you know, horn playing in, in school. And that's what, you know, I would say about the best. So if to answer that question, I would say trumpet. Very good. Thank you. And Mick, mm -hmm. what about you? What was it like for you? Where were you born? And uh, did you have a musical family? What made you move to music? Yeah. Uh, my, yeah, I have a musical family. But uh, I was born in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica. But I moved from Jamaica to England when I was two years old. Uh, so I was pretty much uh, brought up and raised up in Sheffield, England, where, uh, well, my, my, my father used to play uh, ukulele. Uh, so they put me to music school uh, when I was in England, and I played in local bands over there. Uh, one, one was uh, uh, called uh, Travelers Express. Uh, you know, I was pretty young. Uh, I played saxophone, but I also played other instruments like bass, like guitar, keyboards. Um, but yeah, started out very young with uh, cousins and stuff like that doing shows. So I was at the background then uh, around early 70s, uh, came to New York. Actually, I came to New York to play uh, soccer, actually. Uh, but I ended up going to Thomas Jefferson High School and I met uh, a number of the guys that were playing in the jazz band at the time at Thomas Jefferson High School. We're talking about 1970 now, around there. And uh, from there, you know, uh, you know, they, they, these guys, Price, uh, Mahler, Wade, uh, uh, Wayne Paris, uh, they were playing under the name of Dynamic Souls. And uh, so I uh, kind of like, uh, had another band that I was playing with called Shades of Black. They liked what I was doing with that band as a horn player. So they asked me to be in the band, you know, so we used to hang out. We used to hang out at Price's uh, house and Price's house, uh, you know, and then we started to really get serious with horns. Before uh, Dynamic Shows, we had a few horns, but we settled in with uh, five horns, and that's what kind of like framed uh, brass construction after we got invitations to do recording con contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's basically where I met. I, I met these guys in jazz band, you know, around, got to be about 70, 1970. Mm -hmm. And Morris, were you already part of that entity when Mick came along or when did you guys connect? Okay, well, um, I, I, 
started with the band, like Mick said, the group was called Dynamic Souls. And the summer between middle school going to high school um, is a funny story. It's kind of a long story. I won't really get into it, but trying to make it short, I have got, oof, I can't make it short. I will tell you the story. Um, I wanted to go to performing arts high school, okay? That, if you know anything about performing arts, you know, you should know what type of school it was. It was the best in the, in the city. And I didn't take the test. Reason why I didn't take the test, because my music teacher had told me, really gave me a bombshell and made me so mad, I was, oof, that I wouldn't pass. So that was something to tell me, you know, after I was one of his favorite students, but he had the nerve to tell me, which I didn't understand then, which, you know, after a while I understood that it was so many trumpet players that was auditioning that it would be better if I go back and play tuba and I had six months that I, I probably would get in. And I was insulted, like, wait a minute. So anyway, long story short, um, I had got mad at him. We kind of fell out and, you know, I was like totally destroyed and we started to stop speaking, so to speak. But anyway, I'm getting to how I got into brass. Well, at that summer, right, which I wound up going to another high school, that summer, he was looking for me to invite me to join this summer program, which was sponsored by the um, Board of Ed. It was an orchestra, summer orchestra, which you get paid and, you know, you get able to perform and play and, you know, practice and do whatever. So long story short, he found me and I, we made up and everything. He told me the reason. I understood that there were so many trumpet players auditioning. And if I would have played tuba, I would have had a better chance because I was bouncing back for so many instruments. That, and it was the same fingering. I could read bass clef. It, that it would took it would took me like six or seven months, and 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 I should have listened, you know, but I didn't. But anyway, I wound up going to the summer program, and in the summer program, that's where I met most of the guys: Randy Muller, uh, Larry Payton, Wade Williamson, you know, Jesse Ward. They was in that same summer music program, and it 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 was like I would say something like the third week of June, something like that, it started, fourth week of June, right? Just before school was out uh, at the end of school. And they invited me to come rehearse with them and play for a show for the 4th of July. So I was like, whoa, 4th of July, that's only like next week or something. So they said, okay, well, you know. So I went in and, you know, I started, I played, we did some James Brown, you know, Kruna Gang and, you know, um, a lot of songs we would do with, you know, instrumental, you know, musical versions of, you know, songs. And, you know, I liked it. So I was invited to stay. And that's basically how I got in, the summer of 1970. And just to get the time frame uh, right, um, so then Mick came along how much later? I think Mick came along in about 72, Mick? Mm, no, right. 71 right after right after when i got into um we, we was in thomas jefferson uh, i was in the same band uh orchestra, you know uh jazz band 
with uh, Marla Wade and a couple of other guys. Right, so that's the year. That's, so it that's was 70, 70, 71 when I got in with the band. And because, uh, uh, yeah, we graduated. Me and Muller graduated in January of 72. So it must have been in 71 when I started playing with uh, Dynamic Soul at the time. So when that group was together and you were both part of it, um, what were your first impressions of... Uh, you know, Randy Muller, who of course would go on to be a key figure in brass construction. Um, was he gregarious? You know, what were your first impressions of, of him and a couple of other key members of the band when you first sort of connected with them and met them? Um, you want to jump in first with that, Morris? Well, I'll tell you the truth. Um, when I first met Randy, which was in, you know, the, the music program, and I wasn't really, only really musicians, so to speak, I hung out with at that time, but I wasn't never in a, in a band. I was basically a school band. And the other musicians I hung out with was older and more seasoned, like my music teachers, um, friends, you know, and, you know, we, we had a little group that we had, we played, and he played for the Salvation Army band, and we would play with them, and they were definitely more talented than us, and basically all the students was on the same level. But when I got into, um, you know, that this music program, we would, all, most of the students were saying on the same level. But when I met Randy, and he started playing, I was like, oh my God, you know, I didn't believe it. He was like, to, to me, I tell you the truth, he was the most talented person I ever met, my age, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I was in awe, you know, at that time. <laughs> and then, um, Basically, as an arranger, you know, I mean, I, it was, he was the best. You know, I couldn't, I, there wasn't no place, that, other person around. Even after I started moving around, after, you know, I started playing with brass, I mean, what down in the souls at that time, I started moving around now, checking out other groups since I was in my group. And, you know, I found out that he's still one of the most talented guys that I knew that was in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mick? What were your first impressions? Uh, well, definitely talented. Uh, had a big ego. Um, we 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 had music class together. We did arrangements together and stuff like that, and for for jazz. Uh, and obviously, uh, we it was a pretty talented uh, class. Uh, you know, quite a few musicians went on to bands that you might have known, but. Um, yeah, there was competition, you know, uh, you know, uh, when we would hang out, uh, we would jam and everybody's trying to top each other in terms of, you know, in a friendly, friendly way. And yeah, he was always very talented in, uh, in his uh, musical skills and everything like that. Uh, arranging, writing music, uh, when we had to do our compositions, uh, me and Mo would probably always get A's. You know, so I'll meet him compete on under those circumstances. But uh yeah, you know, he, he's a he's a outgoing guy, uh that time very friendly. And uh just any any kind of jam, anything going on in music, you know, he calls, Hey, let's go down and, and, and have a jam with this band, uh let's hang out here because uh we're gonna have uh, some good musicians down there. And uh, that's that's the kind of guy he was. He was it's all about music for him. He didn't really do anything else. I mean, uh, 
as for me, I had other interests. Like I said, I used to be an athlete. I played soccer, so it wasn't 100% uh, day in, day out. It was like 80% at that time in, in, in my life. So, uh, but with Muller, 100%. And he would go to class with his flute. Uh, and you would never see him without his flute. So uh, in class, if teachers are not around, they pull out his flute and start doing his scales. And then we're walking in the hallway and you hear the flute gone. Uh, that's where Muller is, <laughs> uh, around the corner. It's like a Pied Piper. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, yeah, he was uh, very, very talented. And he played all instruments also. His background is from um, he's from British Guiana. He, he, he's an immigrant. It's, it's, it's a it, it was a band that was made up of a lot of different personalities. Uh, a lot of us were from different backgrounds, you know. Uh, like again, I was from England. Wayne Paris was from Jamaica. Joe Wong was from Trinidad. Muller's from Guyana. Morris was a Brooklyn boy, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, we had Wade who was from from deep south, and so we all clung together in terms of music. And, uh, you know, back in the days, it was a pretty rough, rough neighborhood, but, you know, music kept us out of trouble. Yeah, it sounds like um, the makeup of the band really reflected that melting pot, you know, that area of the country at that time. What, um, could you speak to me a little bit more about what the uh, musical flavor was in the early 70s in that part of the country? And what were some groups that you guys looked up to before you started doing it on your own? Well, you know, um, it's funny because the group itself, we would play, um, I mean, renditions of, like I say, vocal groups and using the flute as the vocals. And most of our stuff was instrumental, you know, but Basically, you know, we, we, we looked up to Chicago. We played stuff from Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Of course, James Brown. That was, you know, the, the funk, funk stuff. Um, you know, Mandrill, you know. I mean, we, we had the tip of the iceberg of Cool and the Gang coming out. By the time Cool and the Gang really got hot, we was playing our own originals. But we did, you know, play some Cool and the Gang just, you know, on their first, you know, two albums or what have you. But basically, we was um, trying to recognize funk, which, you know, uh, James Brown was, the, I guess, the funkiest that we actually, you know, played, you know? Yeah, and all those groups you mentioned came from that same area, basically, either Jersey or New York. Yes. Yeah, and Mandrill also a very sort of uh, uh, immigrant-based type of act and, yeah, right. those boys are from a little bit, they were like in the Flushing area, uh, Mantle Boys, uh, Panamanian guys. But yeah, we, we knew we, we knew them and they knew us. And yeah, they they were pretty, you know, back in the days, uh, bands were friendly, but bands used to battle, you know. So, so uh, we all respected each other. But again, you know, uh, yeah, like Mandrill was was one one of the the bands that we 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 enjoyed uh, because of the diversity of the music, you know, horns plus inst instrumental percussion, so on and so forth. And uh, 
you know, at, at the time when we're coming up, you know, uh, the, the big bands like Earth, Wind & Fire, we enjoyed them and Chicago and Blood, Sweat & Tears. Almost any bands with horns, uh, we, we enjoyed and we sometimes we would cover. But one thing about when we were playing as Dynamic Souls, because then we were Dynamic Souls, if we did cover a song, we arranged it differently. Again, we didn't, you know, we like like Mara said, you know, we may make the flute the lead instrument or the saxophone or, or, or keyboards, guitars. We would arrange it diff totally different. And also back then we would play our own original songs. Uh, you know, at that time Muller did most of the, uh, the original songs, but the, the way we used to do it back in the days we would jam and then we'd sort things out and then, then we'll make up a song, the model will arrange it. And then when we're doing the shows, we'll put them in a the show. So, so that was one of the things that made us a little unique because a lot of the bands then that were doing shows, they would just cover bands. They would just cover the, the song, the original. If they did an Earth, Wind & Fire song, they would do it exactly like Earth, Wind & Fire or try to repli replicate Earth, Wind & Fire. If we did an Earth, Wind & Fire song, we would arrange it our own way. And that's what started to, uh, you know, catch attention from people that, you know, special producers at, at that time, that if Brass Construction played, don't expect you just to cover songs. Mm -hmm. be arranged in a different way, you know. So. You, were, you were a big group too. You had, what, eight or ten members at that time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it... Yeah, I would say it was about 10 because we had a trombone. But uh, I mean, when we get to the point where we actually became brass construction and started recording the brass construction, we settled down to nine members. But um, at times, see, local guys at the time, when we were doing a show uh, and, uh, you know, the, the musicians around, we, a lot of, we knew a lot of musicians. So if we're doing a show, it wouldn't be unusual for us to set up and then we'll have, hey guys, can I sit in with you guys? And sure, come on in and guys just sit in. And we would do the same too when we go around uh, different shows, block parties, whatever, whatever we're doing, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll sit in. So eventually we settled down to the non-original members, but yeah, there were a lot of guys floating in and out of the band at the time. You know, we would use, you know, two guitars and, you know, two uh, keyboards or sometimes, you know, yeah, but it was always around 10 or more. <laughs> so you got it pretty right there, Scott. Yeah, party on stage. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. and then we started that, the, the girls, and it, 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 was, it was a big band, you know. Morris, you know, you guys being primarily horn players, we talked about groups that you were uh, – you know, covering and things like that. Were there any particular horn players that you can point to that were very influential to your style or that you kind of idolized? Well, you know, to tell the truth, there's only was one at the time because I met him in person. I took a couple of lessons from him. And then from then, he was like the only guy for me. That was Donald Bird, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing I thought about was Donald Bird, you know what I'm saying? So, to, to me, there wasn't nobody else at the time. Basically, Donald Berg was, was the man for me. I mean, I also like admire, you know, like some of the TV hosts, 
um, like the Doc Sevensons back in the days, you know, they, he was doing his thing. And um, eventually, uh, some of the, what, uh, two, of the, two of the fellas that I actually went to junior high school with who did make it in performing arts wound up playing with Doc Sevensons' band. And so I used to, you know, get involved with them because they were actually in the band at the time, right after, you know, high school. And, um, but basically that's your question, basically Donald Berg. What about you, Mick? Was there any player uh, that you looked up to? Yeah, for horns, my most favorite on players is, is a cat called uh, Roland Kirk. I saw Roland Kirk, he's a jazz player. Uh, he's famous for playing two horns at the same time. And he's a musical genius. But obviously, I, I, I enjoy Charlie Parker. Uh, and and then um, I used to play as a young cat. There was a guy that brought me in his band. His name was R.J. Jones. And he went under R.J. Jones Review. And he was a saxophone player. And uh, matter of fact, uh, you know, that's how I got one of my top horns from him. But he was similar to, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Parker, but, but, you know, he did a lot of different things. But my first really good horn, I got it from him. At that time, he didn't think it was a good horn. It was a, it was a Selma 6. Now it's a very valuable horn. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, R.J. Jones, he was a great player. And I, I, I learned a lot traveling around with him, with his band. So, uh, yeah, but Roland Kirk, Rasan Roland Kirk. And that was the man for me when it came to home playing. Well, I'm going to ask you a question now. I'm going to throw it out to both of you and see who wants to jump in first. And that is, you know, how did you go? How did you become Brass Construction? Where did that name come from? And um, how did you end up getting a record deal? So who wants to jump in first on that one? Uh, okay, well, I go first. Go ahead, well, it goes back to, I guess, and uh, we was in mid high school, you know, when uh, we had some, well, I always got long stories and funny stories, you know, and what's funny is that my mother always told me, she said, listen, everything happened for a reason. And sometimes things are supposed to be or meant to be. And if one thing knocks it out the box, something else is going to knock it in. So I'm just saying that to say, you know, that's been happening in my life, you know, and it works for me. And the reason why I say it works for me is because just like uh, I, I, I told you I, when I met the guys in the band, it just so happened that I, I kind of got back into my music teacher and got into the band that he was in and I met the guys in the band, you know. And so what I'm about to tell you is a kind of funny story also because we was supposed to be introduced to Jeff Lane, who wound up becoming our manager and producer. Okay. At the same time, uh, on the bus, maybe, maybe about six months or so before that, um, I met a gentleman, a, a guy a couple of years older than me, on the bus, and he had a you know guitar. And we started talking. I had my horn and wound up going to his rehearsal which was he was playing guitar for Jeff Lane. 
At the time, I was only 15. Okay, so I used to go to him to watch Jeff Lane and his group rehearse. And then come to find out, he said, listen, this guy's starting to want to be managing some groups and producing groups and what have you. And I was a little kid, 15 years old, interested in his little daughter, was 14 years old. So he never really paid me any attention. So I was trying to get him to come down to see the group. And he was like, oh, okay, like a little kid. Oh, okay, yeah, someday, someday, you know. And at the same time, we were about to be introduced to this guy, Jeff Lane. Now, how, why I didn't connect the two people, because Jeff Lane is Jeff Lane's stage name. His home and family name is another name. Mm-hmm. So they say this guy, Jeff Lane, I'm talking about this other guy called Clarence. So it was the two different people, as far as I was concerned. So come to wind up, Jeff Lane, we, uh, I think one of the guys, uh, by some person, introduced Jeff Lane to somebody else. And come to find out, Jeff Lane was coming down. This guy, Jeff Lane, was coming down to our rehearsal to hear us. And he walks in, and he walks in. I was like, what? He's like, what are you, do- what are you doing here? You all over the place, like you and everybody's rehearsal. I said, well, this is my band. He was like, what? I said, well, this is the band that you know I was trying to tell you about. He was like, oh. And he came with uh, another, I think with Gene Tune or, or uh, uh, what was the other guy? Taylor? Uh, what's his name? Sam Taylor? Yeah, Sam, Sam Taylor. Taylor. And, and those are the guys who was like in his band. So he was like, oh, man. So they all started laughing and crazy, like, oh, man, you were trying, you know, I, you know, I thought you had a little toy group, you know. So anyway, basically, that's how we met Jeff, Jeff Lane. Like, if it wasn't going to be one way, it was going to be the other way. It's like destined to be. Destined to be. So so anyway, Jeff Lane um, wind up, um, you know, liking us and became our manager, you know, and at that time, you know, we, you know, he booked us around a little bit and we wound up getting a small single deal with a label that him and uh, his uh, family doctor put together called Doc Records. Um, Moondock Moon Records. Moondock. Yeah. You know about I, that? Absolutely. <laughs> I have not, I'm not familiar. Oh, is, wait, is that? But, but I was. Is that the only label for BK Express too? No, no. What it, it it's been such a long time. We're talking about forty five years ago, but uh, yeah, yeah. the the that record label we did a, a song called Two Timing Lady" for Moondock Records. Now, I'm not sure was it Brass Instruction or are we still under Dynamic Souls. Well, but but it was it was it was the first recording we did, and um, yeah, there there you go. Doc, is it Moon Doc or Doc Records? Doc, it is. It is Doc. Okay. And his brass construction. There you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he's, he's right. Right. What What year is that? Um, seventy three, seventy four. That's that's seventy. Yeah, seventy seventy three. Yeah. Yes, because I was in high school still. Yeah. And how did that do? What happened with that record? It played on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't do too well, but it played. Um, remember how it goes? 
I gotta, I gotta let you hear it. It was really horny, man. It was a lot of horns. Yeah, yeah. And it was a fast song licks in there. Fast song. This, you know, this it was kind like a cool in the gang type of thing, you know. But, but really horns, horns like crazy, like real fast. It's like dope. You sound like sound like they speed it up, but they didn't. You that's how fast we, we played it. I gotta let you hear it. Yeah, I gotta hear that. But so, but, but you can see that was back in in '73 when that when that came out. Okay. And I don't know the original question you asked me, but go ahead. Oh, I was gonna ask uh, Mick if you wanted to pick up the story from there. Yeah. Um. Well, after Moondock, uh, Jeff Lane then connected with BT Express and he, he got hot with the song and he was trying to, um, you know, get a, a label for us. Uh, so what he did was he, he hooked up with uh, Freddie Frank and Sid Moore. These were producers that had been around a while. Uh, like Sid Moore did a lot with the uh, British invasion at the time, you know, like managing them, you know, from England, guys like Donovan on Dave Clark Five Band. Maybe you don't remember. You maybe too young, Scott. I know my sister. Is <laughs> my older sister. But that's what he was known known yeah. for. And Freddie Frank was also do, doing a lot with uh, gospel music, Shirley Caesar, and so on and so forth. But anyway, they loved the band, and those three guys started to try to find us a label. And you know, we did some demos blah 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 and motown wanted to sign us at the time and we thought we were going to go with motown and then at the then um and then arista records wanted to sign us like clive davis so there was two in the mix and then virgin records jumped into the mix and we went to england uh, you know party in, in england and you know they gave us the the whole thing trying to sign us down there. And then we ended up going with United Artists at the time. That was mainly a film company. They had a record division, but they wanted to get more into R&B and they thought Brass Instruction would be a, a great sign for them. So eventually we signed with uh, United Artists. And- uh, Did they have war at the time too? Yeah, uh, yeah. they had war. Yeah. They were most the most famous band at the time was Grateful Dead and uh, Vanilla is a villain of Fudge. Was it Vanilla Fudge or something? Yeah, they were the songs that had songs on the charts and actually selling records. So they, but they never really had too much of an R and B big band. Yes, they had War, and then they wanted to get brass construction and and they were trying to develop that, you know, that R and B label. For, for, for their uh, company. But anyway, we, 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 we decided we had options. So we got a pretty good deal and we ended up with United Artists. And that was in 75, 75 and 74 price. That was uh, late 74? Yeah. 74. Yeah. That's okay. what we and as far, as far as the name, oh, no, I forgot one part of the story. Okay. Uh, they wanted us to, that's what I was trying to get at price. They wanted us to be, uh, change our names because we were still wanting to go on uh, Dynamic Souls. But 
the music was changing and they didn't want us to be labeled as a soul band. So they said, we got to come up with a name. And that was like a, uh, you know, it's like a big thing. It's like, hey, everybody, uh, next meeting, everybody come up with ideas for name because uh, they want to change our name to whatever, whatever. And I remember that meeting coming up, you know, everybody came up with some stuff. Saratoga Brass and this or that, this or this or that. But somehow we came out of there and we decided the name was going to be Brass Construction. And when we recorded on the United Artists, they wanted us to record on the Brass Construction. So, um, yeah, I, th I think that's the official because then we had to actually get a logo. Sid Moore uh, made a logo for the band and, you know, all the, the paperwork and, you know, the necessary paperwork made it official at and that time. It's 75. Then, I guess that's the logo that was on that picture, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that, that is the city court building on 54th street. That's the construction side. And that's the original picture. Uh, the, the outfits there, you know, um, I used to go to a, uh, a tailor, a designer tailor that back then a little boutique on 54th street, uh, up on the lower up on the east side. And what we did was we all went in there and he had all kinds of stuff. And he just said, you guys pick anything you want. And we just started pick out stuff, you know, the costume, that's why those costumes <laughs> a little different. Everybody had, you know, a little different flair. And that was cool. Cause at the time, you know, bands were used to dress alike and if you notice on that picture we all kind of look different and uh so there's a little history with, with that first album cover and you had to carry some of your horns to the construction site yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's uh, you know whenever i pass that building i said my god you know brings back memories <laughs> it was, it was, you know that's the city court building right there well of course that was the first picture I ever saw of you guys. So, yeah. Um, so, Morris, can you uh, tell us some more about what went into the making of that first record? And, um, you know, what are your memories from those sessions? How did it come together? Well, Sleepless Nights, number one. Um, well, as you know, the, the, our biggest hit, I guess, one would say, is moving. And, um, you know, there's uh, some stories about how that started, you know, and guys would tell it different ways, you know, but it's fun, you know, because everybody have a different way of what it was, the way it happened, because it wasn't something that actually was planned. It, it was something that was a jam, so to speak. And, um, but how the story goes, how I, how I remember it is basically, you know, well, before we would say Jeff Flame would come in, which was our producer, we would get there and check the sound and warm up and play. So, of course, back then it wasn't like like now. We now you play eight bars and you just loop it. You know, back then we played straight through. So you got to get our chops together. So we started jamming, you know, a, a, you know, a rhythm, so to speak, and not not playing the songs that we were supposed to be recording just, you know, warming up, playing something, you know? And and that something became a jam. And 
and the jam that, that I'm talking about is moving. So Jeff Lane came in, heard it, and just told the engineer to hit record. And basically, we just jam, 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 jam. And I think it was originally, what, how many minutes, Mick? 20, 15? It was about 20 minutes of jamming. That was about, <laughs> I don't know. 20 minutes, straight through. So we did jamming, jamming. And next thing you know, when we stopped, it was like, okay. And then we is recorded. Um, Finish telling the story, make I mean, tell your part. I mean, basically. Yeah, well, I, I remember being in the studio. Uh, I, I went in there with um, with Wade Williston, Joe, Joe Alpha Wong, Larry, and uh, Wayne Paris was there also. And Wade started to play that bass line and uh, it was a funky bass line. And then everybody started uh, stepping in, uh, Larry, the drummer, uh, Joe started the guitar going on and we would all, I remember everybody was playing the percussions in, in terms of the cowbells and the maracas and we were all shaking, blah, 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 blah. And that's how it started. Uh, I mean, Randy hadn't arrived yet, um, but when he did arrive, he'd already did a lot of charts for the song that we were supposed to do. And Jeff Lane told him, no, 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 we ain't got time to do that. We're going to do this one. We're going to do this one. And uh, so, so Jeff said, well, you know, come up with some ideas, you know, guys, come up with some lyrics and arrangements, so on and so forth. So we kept on jamming and kept on, kept on. We, we only did that one jam, basically, that entire session. And then um, late, later on, you know, when we came back to the studio sessions, you know, uh, Randy started to arrange. But the, 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 the old horn line, if you remember, Price, we used to play that in one of our jazz so it's one of those horns lines that we used to play we put that in there Randy arranged it in there and then the thing the thing that kicked it off was at that time the moog synthesizer was was new you know uh the the synthesizing just coming out and you know uh we got we got a moog you know, he came in and Randy was like fascinated with the Moog and he wouldn't stop playing it. I remember on the jam, he would just jam. Yeah, it's a really cool part. Right, right. Yeah, if, if, if you kind of go back, not many bands were using a Moog synthesizer. It had just came out maybe and it was rock bands. You wonder was about it. Yeah, yeah. Rock bands used it. Um, not, not too much in R&B. And that was catchy and he kept on with that and then and then uh he's, he he came up with the idea that he wanted to put some strings in it and uh he said okay at that time to get these are real strings <laughs> you know uh, uh these musicians who play strings you know union musicians a lot of money so i remember a little fight about that uh you know jeff lane didn't want to put strings it don't cost too much you know that but somehow we put the strings in, in, in the song. So what made the song was that there were so many different elements within the song. There was a little bit for everybody. There was horns, there were strings. There was this new sound called the synthesizer, the Moog synthesizer and the jam. And then, and then the message was relevant at the time. Got myself together, you know, let's moving on. And again, 
you could try a million times to get a hit record and you'll never get one. You know, you could be the most talented and skilled person in the world and write, and then the most simplest things are the things that become successful. And that's what moving was. It was a jam that became successful, you know. And it was and 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 a lot of people would say, Well, you never came back with the moving. Yeah, because it's hard to come back with a jam that, you know, it, it was uh, hard to recapture that. But uh, that's how basically the moving came around. It, it, it was a jam. We worked on it, arranged it. And one more, more point on that, it became a, a, a very popular in clubs because before moving, a lot of songs were no more than four minutes, three minutes. You could play, play songs on the, the airways too long but they would start to play moving and we had cut it down from 20 and it was still a 10 minute song and so they would play that on the air that was unusual too and so yeah, and uh, discos were just starting to get popular exactly that's what disco started to, to to come in how can i hear the 20 minute version <laughs> well you know what price i think you have the the tape did you find the tapes of the, the real to real tapes so I haven't, but I don't have a machine. We don't have a machine to play it. It's on, it's on a, one of those. Uh, you, you know the wheel to wheels, the twenty, the the two two inch tapes, Scott. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have one anymore, but I did. <laughs> we, we might have it, you know. So, uh, yeah, that wow. would be interesting. So, Morris, uh, how surprised were you and the rest of the guys that it hit as big as it did? Well, I'll tell you the truth. Um, I was I was really surprised uh, because I didn't think "Moving" was going to be the song. You know what I'm saying? At first, you know, because you know, uh, it, tell you the truth, it wasn't my favorite. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I liked it, of course, but I didn't think that you know, that was going to be the song until we started building on it, building on it, building on it, building on it. Because, like Nick said. You know, we added, you know, the horns, then we added the synthesizer, you know, we had the lyrics, and then, you know, then it started to come together. Um, but far as far as the group itself, uh, we already, well, okay, let's go back a little bit. Now, just before us, Jeff Lane had already produced, and which we were supposed to be the first group, but we kind of, you know, Put us, put us aside, sort of on the back burner, and BT came out first. So while BT had, you know, their first album playing, you know what I'm saying, and basically a hit, you know, that's when we was, our album was just starting to hit. So we kind of felt the vibes from, from, from that as we was part of that, at least I did, because, you know, we played, Couple of the guys played on BT Express songs. You know, a couple of musicians played on BT's albums. A couple of horn players played. Larry Payton did some drums on BT's album. You know, Randy did string arrangements and played flute. You know, so we was involved with BT. So, to me, kind of BT's success, you know, kind of dwindled down. You know, brass success because yeah, I figured I said, well, Dad, if they could make it, you know. And I thought we was a better group, <laughs> you know. At that time, you know, I was saying, well, I, I figured that we was going to make it, you know what I'm saying? So it kind of dwindled down. So 
But for brass to really, you know, make it, you know, and that first thing, it wasn't a big, big, total big surprise, you know. I just said, okay, we, we're moving on, you know what I'm saying? Hmm. Well, and that, uh, that BT Express, of course, had uh, Express, which was in primarily instrumental hit also. Right. Right. And uh, Do It You Satisfied, which, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I was a little kid then. I bought that 45. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, that, that's mainly sax, but there's like trumpet undertones in there that's just real low, you know, to fill it out. And then, and like I said, Larry Payton did a couple of songs playing drums. You know, I think he did I Like It. You know, he, he, he did the drum beat on there. So we were kind of involved in, in, in the same family, so to speak. So, um, but you know, it's just the after, after effects. We wasn't used to performing as, you know, stars, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, felt it felt good. Yeah. I mean, it must have changed your lives. I mean, you're all of a sudden able to perform in front of bigger crowds and things like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We did some big shows. Uh, pretty much, uh, you name it, at the time that was. Uh, you know, Funkadelics, we toured well, shows with Duffy and Fire, Chapecan, uh, Jackson's, uh, Sly and the Family Stones, Larry Graham, you name it. Uh, you know, War, you, you could go on and on. We we, we had a lot of fun. Cool in the gang? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. There's some, there some horn power there between both of you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're great, man. And great guys too. And when we toured with them, the shows with them, we always had a lot of fun. Um, One yeah. of our first, first big tours, um, we did we did OJ tour, OJ and and Commodores. No, was it Rick James? The Rick James came on seventy eight. Okay, no. yeah, okay. We did we did okay. uh, Rick James later then. And the Commodores. It was Commodores. Yeah, we did. And and then from there we left and did, which I say, you know, was my graduation to the funk. We, we toured with um, um, a parliament. Yep. And, and we opened up there, Bootsy opened up for them at the time. We mm -hmm. were supporting that. And then, um, and from there, you know, I would say we was all funked up. At that time, yeah, ever since we've been very, very good friends, and yeah. and then from there we we had to mellow ourselves. We went, we did the Jacksons, yeah. but you know, to go to go to the Jacksons at that time for me, you know, which was a mellow group, you know, a lot of guys you know wasn't into the Jacksons, but to open up for the Jacksons that was something you know that unique for us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, the Commodores had done that, so you know what I'm saying to open up for the Jacksons. Or something at that time, you know, you could say, okay, what you do? I open up for the Jackson. Okay, you you in there, you know, <laughs> you know, that's just you know the claim to fame, so to speak. When you guys played with um, Parliament Funkadelic, was it just after the first album, or was it a few albums in? After the first album. Wow. So that must have been quite an experience. Um, Definitely, they, they were just getting seasoned themselves, you know. Yeah. Was that before or after they started landing the mothership? Before they landed the mothership on on the on the tour that we was with them, the mothership. Yeah, sure. uh -huh. yeah, we was on, we we started with them before they started landing the ship, and then they started landing the ship maybe after the first set of tour, you know, gigs, and then 
they started landing the ship and then it was gone from there. You know? Yeah. And like I said, Bootsy was the new guy. That's right. Yeah. Well, such great music times back then. I miss them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, now, you mentioned, Morris, that you weren't like the most keen on moving. Now, the first record only had six tracks. Was there another cut on there that you kind of were more hyped about than moving? Well, at that time, at that time, it, it, the song that uh, that I felt more groove, grooving with was, I guess, with changing and dance, you know, because it had more, you know, rhythms and what have you. And, you know, uh, and it had a bridge, you know what I'm saying? It had, you know, not that it really had more horns, but it was something that, you know, I, I didn't really start appreciating moving until, I guess, after it started really playing on the radio and listening to it. To me, it was still just a jam, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, it was just still just a jam. But Changing got love, too, and got played. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's a great cut, too. Yeah. 